Hello, and welcome to Storytelling for Business, the podcast that helps you connect with your customers by telling stories they want to hear. I'm Katie Flamen. I'm a voiceover artist specialising in corporate storytelling. That means I help businesses to sound as good as they look, narrating companies' explainer videos, brand films and training modules, and voicing their adverts, award shows and answer phone messages. I've worked with clients like Google, Deloitte and the NHS, helping them all tell their stories. But storytelling isn't just for the giants. As we found out in the last episode, all businesses, no matter what their size, can benefit from this type of marketing. And today's guest has some amazing stories to share. Little warning for any pets in the room with you. We're off to the V-E-T. This story starts in Australia, where Jenny Christofferson was born, grew up, and became a you-know-what. And after working on Aussie farms for a while, she fancied something different and headed to the UK with nothing but a backpack and her veterinary skills. Over the next nine years, Jenny worked in various vets' practices in the UK and gained lots of experience and a husband called George. In 2004, Jenny and George set up Portland Vets. She looked after the animals with the help of just one nurse and he took care of the business. But that was just the beginning. Jenny, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's, it's brilliant to have you. So let's start at the beginning. What made you want to be a vet? Uh, I think growing up in rural Australia, you as a child, you really only familiar with a few careers. Maybe I, I did some time thinking I might be a teacher or generally looking at anything to do with being a farmer. But I grew up on a big farm. We had merino sheep and beef cattle and really animals was all I knew. And I just wanted to be a vet. So was there a particular vet that used to come to your farm that was kind of inspiring to you? I think we, well, we had several farm vets and actually it was a practice I ended up working in when I graduated. And even right through my schooling, I used to go and do work experience with, with that particular practice. You know, we were in such a rural area that there really was only one practice that covered probably 200 kilometers in every direction from from that location so it was just really all I knew and and I absolutely loved it I think I decided when I was about oh probably five or six that's what I wanted to do and fairly horrific story of me standing in the middle of a freshly butchered animal that we were to eat within my pink wellies, wrapping its intestines around my throat, pretending it was a necklace. I think at that point, they probably decided that I had the uh, stomach to be able to do it. Either a vet or a butcher, right? <laughs> One or the other. Yeah. But it was a way of life. You live on a farm, you, you, you grow what you eat. You know, to drive into town for us to do the shopping was an hour, an hour and a half's drive. So, you know, you only went every couple of weeks. And do you think that that rural background is what made you decide, okay, I need to see a bit of the world here? I mean, I said you were at uni in Sydney, but had you travelled much? I hadn't travelled much at all, but I did go to uh, school. My secondary education was in Sydney. I qualified for something in Australia called a rural child allowance, which meant that my family could help send me to a boarding school because sitting for two and a half, three hours on a bus to and from school every day, which would have been my high school commute, wasn't really practical. So the government in Australia at that time helped educate rural children that what was called an isolated children's scholarship. And why did you pick the UK? 
I am actually a dual citizen. My dad was born here during the Second World War, so I was very lucky to have a UK passport and some distant family here. So I guess it was a safe option. And, you know, vets in the UK at the time, um, and I hope still, were very well recognised professionally. And, you know, it was a good place to um, to come and expand my horizons. I think what's um, what's so inspiring about your business, and full disclosure, my cats are looked after by Portland Vets, and I happened to meet Jenny at, at a birthday lunch for a mutual friend of ours, and we had the most amazing chat, and I've been badgering her to come on the podcast ever since. So, um, so yeah, I'm I'm very invested in your business from from a personal point of view, but but I think that's what well, I think that's what what I really love about bringing my animals to your vet's practice because you said UK vets are very well respected but it, it's not it's not all a level playing field is it tell us a bit about why your practice is is different from a lot of others I think most vets I'm going to be generalized here go into our profession with a genuine desire to do well to care to do the best job they possibly can. You know, they're all A-type personalities that with big caring hearts. But, you know, ultimately we're we're often slaves to business now, and particularly as the profession in this country is changing to be uh, a much more corporate, outward-focused business. You know, we all have to survive. We all have to put food on the table as well. But I think somewhere along the way there's been a massive paradigm shift in the way our profession runs and so the bits that I love about being a vet the personal relationships the yes it it isn't always easy you can go from 15 minute gap between the cutest fluffiest kitten you've ever seen and then putting someone's best friend down the next you know 15 20 minutes later but that's actually ironically the bit that I enjoy and and when I set out to be in practice it's about the relationships and it's about people as much as it is about their pets it's about being a very extended part of their family but making sure that we're treating both the animals and the people with the respect that that we would want in those happy times and those sad times and that's that's really stood out to me i mean everything from when your animal has an operation you send a little get well card that's been drawn by a little child and and yeah, I think that I think that as a customer of your business, you really get that sense and your vets will phone up and check up on on our animals. You can request to see the same vet if you want to. And yeah, I think that's something that, that you, you do really well. So you've got more than one vet's practice now, haven't you? We do. We started off, as you said, just with myself and a very brave nurse that took the plunge to join a Aussie bird in a bit of an adventure and we now have three small animal practices um, spread across actually three counties and we have a equine practice and a cattle vet practice as well although I don't have so much to do with those my husband has you know has more to do with with running those it was very very fortunate to marry a man who has amazing business sense I can look after the making sure the practice is what we want it to be and he can concentrate on making sure that we can grow it and make it make it profitable for everybody that works in it. So how many people are you in, are you employing now? We have uh, just over 
30 vets and around about another 40 or 50 nurses, receptionists, managers. So it's it's certainly changed a bit in 20 years, although I'd like to hope that the core values that we set out to, you know, to push and, and become are still what we what we what we do on a day-to-day basis. And that's that's really a sign of a really strong business brand, isn't it? If you've as you grow, you want, as you say, those core values to still be there as as you scale the business and as and as more and more people come in. So is there anything that you do when people join to kind of I mean obviously you you get to know people at an interview process, but is there anything you do to sort of Ah, indoctrinate them is completely the wrong <laughs> word. Make them feel part of the family. That, that's, that, it, yeah. that's it. Yeah. <laughs> this is why you're the best yeah. and I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd rather do my job than yours. <laughs> this is far less scary than doing this. Um, no, I think I think it's about the right people. It's about finding people that are, yes, very skilled at what they do, but they also have the same desires and the same focus that you do to make sure that you know that care is the first thing that that they want to do for you know for the patients for their owners and for each other you know it's a it's a team at the end of the day and we do very heavily rely on each other for clinical support for emotional support sometimes and you know it is it is about building that and I think that almost is where it starts um, you know, you can't care for other people's pets or other people very well if you're not looking after each other. And, you know, I'm really proud that since 2018, we've taken on seven graduates and all seven of them are still working within the practice, which is remarkable given that, you know, most of us have a job for a few years and then find greener grass and they, they stay because, you know, they're happy and we're looking after them. And you know, that means they can do their jobs better. Definitely. And I read in your newsletter about a new initiative you've got to do some volunteering work abroad. Can you tell me a bit about that? We've always had charities that we support. We Every year we vote for a charity as, that as a group we're going to support. We used to alternate between a human one and an animal one, and sometimes we'd mix the two together. And we always support locally things like you know the Lions Clubs, you know dog shows and all the rest of it. But a few years ago, we decided that we'd look a little bit further afield. And at the same time, it's about looking after your staff as well. And we each year now are sending two of our employees, usually a vet and a nurse, to Africa to work with a game vet and expand their horizons working with rhinos. They did some helicopter darting. And then sadly, they were actually doing things like removing rhino horns to stop poaching but also, you know, working just with big cats, you know, they get in scrapes and fights and get abscesses and things just like our domestic moggies do, just on a slightly different scale. And so they're getting the experience of going out there for a couple of weeks, you know, volunteering, doing some good and uh, coming back with some great stories and, you know, just generally expanding their horizons. So, yeah, so it's a nice thing to be doing for the big furry ones as well as the small furry ones, although I'm glad we don't see too many rhinos. <laughs> I know you've had you've had some experience beyond the domestic and the farm animals, haven't you? I remember from our lunch you telling me some amazing stories. So come okay, here here come my um, the wine definitely got the mouth talking. (laughs) Here come my fangirl questions about um I want to do what you do, Jenny. So what's the biggest animal you have ever had to look after or do an operation on? 
biggest one is probably a giraffe, actually, ironically, here in the UK. I worked in a practice for a while that did the vet work for a zoo down in Winchester and with a ophthalmologist who was at the top of his field and uh, he needed some help one day to go out and examine a giraffe so who had a sore eye which is quite a long way up so cherry picker involved and uh, yes because sedating giraffes isn't very clever they've got very unique blood pressure having such long necks and having to pump their blood all the way up to their brain all the way up there so yes you try and uh, do everything you can with them still standing up so, so how did you stop it from running away? It was in a, a enclosed space. The zoo, I mean, the zookeepers are amazing. You know, we we cut Swan in and take the glory, but actually they do all the hard work. To be fair, let's be honest. And yeah, so that was that was a bit a bit of a different day at the office. So tell me about the giraffe. So what did you have to do? The giraffe's oh, eye. It was. It it just had a, a, had an ulceration on its eye. It obviously run into a branch or done something silly. So it just. You know, required a little bit of a minor procedure to try and debride its eye as best you could with a moving head at the top of a cherry picker and a yeah it's, it's probably more of a comedy moment than a great story <laughs> no, it sounds it's, good the images in my mind are are pretty intense so and you also told me you'd done an operation underwater that was <laughs> yeah you're picking some good ones um so obviously fish can't breathe air so if you need to do something with a fish, you usually do it in a bucket. I mean, this was back in Australia. So uh, we had a valuable, I think it was a koi carp or something similar to that. And uh, it had had a fight with another koi carp that had bitten off its lip. So uh, you put the anaesthetic in the water and then sew the lip back on with whilst it's underwater. So it's a, it's a bit bit different. But again, you know, it's a haven't done too many of those, but it's, yeah, it's a good story. Water anaesthetic, and then you just put the fish back into a bucket of normal water and it... Yes, it wakes up. My well, goodness. hopefully that's the plan. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, one more question, and I think this is the most mad. You may remember telling me that you had done an operation to saw open a tortoise and then you stuck it back together with super glue. Was that wine yeah. or was that real? Because no, that's no, no, completely no, no, that was, made up, that's, Jenny. That's, no, no, that does sound made up, doesn't it? I think possibly reptile medicine or surgery has probably progressed a little bit for past this but it was probably about 10-15 years ago that I was working in a practice with a reptile specialist and we used to get tortoises legs uh, we used to get egg bound tortoises and if you couldn't get them to deal with their eggs you would have to literally take a saw to the bottom of the tortoise cut a flap or a <laughs> sunroof except it's on the bottom (laughs) uh, out and then remove the eggs there and then yes the only way to repair the shell and actually quite a lot of shell repairs done with what at the time was super glue we probably now use surgical glue but back in the day yep bit of araldite did the job quite nicely unbelievable yeah what what do you love about your job lots of people ask that question I think it's a couple of things I love the variety I love the relationships that you build with colleagues with your clients I love I do love the animals don't get me wrong they are a massive part of it but I think at the end of the day a lot of it is about people and it's about just the variety that you can see in I mean you've picked three very random their dinner party stories but just even the everyday you know the, the challenge of something that might be 
a mystery illness that you've got to get to the bottom of, you know, just to making sure that someone's cat is as healthy as they possibly can be or someone's dog's hurt a poor and, you know, they're really worried about it. You know, it, it's it's fairly normal stuff, but actually it's variety and it's people and it's, for them, a very important part of their lives and a very important part of their day. So it's really important that we understand that and that it's not just, oh, here's another vaccination. It's not. It's a, here's another pet that we have the opportunity to make sure is as healthy as they can be. Let's make sure we do it properly. And do you find that a, that a lot of your clients stay with you? Do you, do you see animals throughout their whole lives? Yeah, and that's hugely rewarding. I mean, it is hugely rewarding. And then to be even, you know, when you're as old and great as I am, you've seen generations of animals. And, you know, it is part of, like I said, being a very distant, extended part of people's family. And that's a real privilege that I think we never, ever want to take for granted that actually to be there. I mean, I've had ones where I've been there at their birth and been there at the end. And that's just really bizarre. Even had a few named after me over the years that have been have delivered by sections or, you know, been born in the surgery or whatever. Few what little what animals running. have been named after you? Oh, silly. I'm sure every vet gets it. Dogs, <laughs> cats mainly, because given what I do. But yeah, a cow once, but that was... <laughs> very long time I was clearly in a bad mood that day <laughs> that's fantastic yeah um, the cow. <laughs> something you touched on before we came on air was about your kind of mission to turn some of your practices or maybe all of them into kind of employee owned trusts like a sort of John Lewis style partnership. Can you just explain a little bit more about that? Well, I'm going to leave the, the business side of that. I leave to my husband because he's far more clever than I am. And you know, key to any success is making sure you surround yourself with people that are a lot more clever than you are. But basically, we we obviously aren't going to be alive forever, and we want to make sure that our practices continue with what we've built. You know, we've worked really hard to become hopefully a practice that people feel comfortable coming to that it's not just a business it's actually a you know it, it's almost a gesture I love it when people bring their kids into the surgery and it's a family outing and you know the kids can have a listen to the dog's chest and I can talk them through you know with some bits and pieces about their pet and listen to their stories you know, that that's what we want to be and um, I think to keep that and make it not about targets and not necessarily about you know this is a cat bite abscess therefore you must treat it with this antibiotic for this long and this is the way you must do it according to this flow chart we want to make sure that we keep that and rather than look at always selling to the highest bidder you know there's a lot of off we get offers every week for the practice from corporate buyers but we have decided to, to go down the route of easing out and basically selling the business to the employees over time and the core employees will have the option to become part of the employee ownership trust and have a say in how the business is run I mean and going forward as we head off into the sunset it's brilliant it's a really not next week <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a lovely way to kind of hand over your your legacy or your 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 dream in into the hands of the people who you trust already and who have made it what it is it's not me it's not you know it's not my husband it's it's all those people that you know the nurse that I started with is still working with us and we we are planning to open another surgery in a couple of years time and you know she is going to be the partner in that surgery and she started with me 20 years ago and you know what 
absolute just reward for an amazing person who's been with us every step of the way. That's fantastic. I was just going to say, you're coming up for officially for your 20 year anniversary, aren't you? Any any plans for a party? Oh, yes. Yeah, we've been having a few practice ones because our Hawley branch turned five the other day and our Edenbridge branch is turning 10 and opening a catch specific clinic this this month so we're having a few sort of rehearsal pra- practice parties and then we'll have <laughs> a big have one at 20. no you can't no no they work very very hard all my all my team and they deserve every bit of uh, every bit of party and success they get oh that's lovely and my my last question is really I think we've kind of touched on it but do you know what your your story holds for maybe the next five years uh, you said you're going to kind of ease out can can you imagine your life without doing what you do I think personally I've I have eased back quite a lot in the last five years anyway I haven't been and it was very hard not being the face of the practice for having been the face of the practice but I think it's now has an identity of its own rather than being about the initial people that started it you know and that that's an amazing thing to be able to hopefully say so yes, I mean the next five years, as I said, you know the the equine practice is actually heading towards the ownership, uh, the employee ownership trust as we speak, and you know over the next five to ten years, we hope the swine will, you know, surgeries will follow suit, and maybe a bit more travelling, a bit more being uh, being semi-retired. I don't think my husband will be able to walk away quite so easily. And I will, I, you know, I already miss the, the clients and seeing people every day, but it is it's part of life, isn't it? You've just got to learn when is the right time to bow out. You know, already there's a far, far more clever people working for me than there are, you know, than, than those that, are, that own it. So it's the right way forward. Maybe some amazing holidays as well. You've earned it, I think. Definitely, definitely. (laughs) Well, Jenny Christofferson, thank you so much for talking to me. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been lovely, Katie. Thank you for having me. Wasn't that fascinating? If you're interested in finding out more about Jenny's practice, Portland Vets, the website is in the show notes. So what did we learn today? Here are my key takeaways. One, be passionate about your purpose, your values and know what's really important in your business. Jenny's Vets practice is super successful because every member of staff is invested in those values and they shine through in every customer interaction. Two, Jenny said that for her, the most important thing is building relationships and treating her clients, both the animals and their owners, with care and respect. I think that should be the case for any and every business. You can't go wrong if you look after your customers as if they're an extended member of your family. Three, surround yourself with people who can support you. Even if you work by yourself or as a freelancer, everyone needs a support network. Jenny's vet practice is a family business, literally, but that family feeling extends to everyone who works there. She said it's all about the team. They rely on each other for clinical support and emotional support sometimes too. She said you can't care for other people's pets or other people very well if you're not looking after each other. And that is such an important takeaway. Four, are you embracing corporate social responsibility? Remember Jenny's team who went to South Africa as vet volunteers? Everyone's a winner there. The staff members had an amazing experience. The work they did was needed, valued and welcomed. And the business was able to share the stories afterwards in its newsletter. 
could you do something similar? 5. Make sure you've got the right tools for the job before you start. To operate on a fish, put the anaesthetic in the water and get some goggles. For a giraffe, you'll need a cherry picker, and for a tortoise, don't forget your saw and your superglue. If you need more details on implementing takeaway number five or anything else from the interview, do reach out to Jenny and her team at Portland Vets, even if it's just to say hello. They'd love to hear from you. Tell them I sent you. And of course, if you're a pet owner in Southeast England, I highly recommend the practice. Full disclosure, Monkey the Studio Cat hates going there, but she's just a drama queen. Okay, nearly time to go. In our next episode, practical tips for content creation and storytelling success. There has never been a better time to be a small business owner. We have got tons of tools at our disposal that are free. People, when they talk to me about video, say, I can't can't do video, I don't like, I, I can't talk on video, I can't, I can't do that. There is more to getting your brand feeling out there than just you talking on video. That's corporate filmmaker and founder of the Creatives Private Members Group, Melanie Perry. Episode 13, creativity, content and connections is all yours. You can listen now if you want. It's lined up and ready to go. Okay, I'm off to feed the cat. She's called Monkey and I'm Katie Flamen. And this is Storytelling for Business. Till next time, goodbye. Goodbye.